This is the Music Buzz Podcast. Buzz Podcast features candid discussions with and about those behind the scenes in the music business, including industry veterans representing the segments of musician, design, and live. All three Music Buzz Podcast hosts have spent their careers working with the biggest names in entertainment and have been and are still a fly on the wall. Dane Clark as the drummer for John Mellencamp's band for over 20 years and various solo projects. Hugh Sign, a world-renowned graphic artist for the biggest names in music and the corporate world. Andy Wilson, an award-winning marketing and public relations executive with over 20 years of combined multi-level entertainment industry experience in the music and sports business. Now let's buzz. Hello and welcome back to the Music Buzz Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Andy Wilson, along with Dane Clark. Hey, Dane. Hi, Andy. Also, normally we have another co-host, Hugh Syme, as you all know, but Hugh is gone in Scotland for the Rush Convention, being Mr. Famous Rush Guy. So uh, best wishes to Hugh and his travels. For a minute, yeah. yeah. Our guest today on Music Buzz Podcast is legendary musician Russell Hitchcock, who met Graham Russell in 1975 and formed Air Supply. That group had many, many huge radio hits in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. The list is long. All Out of Love, Lost in Love, Making Love Out of Nothing at All, and many more. Hitchcock has also released solo albums, solo singles over the years, hits like Swear to Your Heart, etc., and continues with Air Supply to this day. So welcome to the music buzz, Russell Hitchcock. Thank you, sirs. Hi, Dane. Hey, man. It's a pleasure to have you here, Russell. I'd like to start out by talking about the newest Air Supply video and song, Be Tough. Man, your voice, it's unmistakable, stronger than ever. The song is quintessential Air Supply. It's very impressive, and it's got an important message to the world in 2023 that you got to be tough to survive, I think. Uh, in the first minute or so of the video, the blindfolded people kind of spilling their innermost fears and emotions, it really caught me by surprise. Very captivating. Can you tell us about the song and video, uh, which I believe is the, the first thing you guys have done since the Mumbo Jumbo record, maybe? Yeah. It's before the dinosaurs. Yeah. <laughs> 2010 <laughs> or so. <laughs> um, you know, Graham writes all, all the songs these days. Uh, he's very private about his influences and inspirations. Um, however, the the guy that uh, came up with the concept for, for the video uh it just worked tremendously. I mean, uh, it's nice to get to know somebody first uh, without seeing them uh, because then you get to know the real person and not you're not affected by how pretty they are or handsome or ugly they are. And, uh, you know, there was a, a few scenes that are uh, same-sex conversations. Mm -hmm. um, that kind of stuff now is really pertinent these days. And obviously... Uh, we've gotten a bit of a flack for it, a bit of flack for it, but bottom line is it, it's a beautiful song. And as you said, Dane, it has a great, uh, a great message. Um, we hope to, well, people are enjoying it. We play it live; it goes down great there. So, um, you know, let's see. But we need to, and we're not crusaders certainly, but we need to. Everybody needs to be a bit more, well, a lot more um, kind to other people. Uh, look at their perspectives, um, and who knows if that's going to happen. I'm. In, in that regard, I'm kind of very pessimistic because I've been on this planet since 1949 
and uh, you know went through the 60s, which was an amazing time. Very, uh, it was peace and love to the nth. Uh, 70s was great. 80s started to turn a bit. 90s I didn't care for too much at all. Um, and here we are. The state of affairs that we're living is not not great these days. I think it's a bold statement, and again, the the sonically. It sounds great. Your voice sounds great. It, is is there more stuff you guys have in the pipeline for oh, yeah. release? We've uh, we've recorded four songs um, in the last month or so. We're going to do some vocals in Vancouver next week, and in September, I believe, we're going to cut a couple more tracks. So, you know, our, our intention was initially to um, put a single out by whatever means we could once every three months, but. Uh, Graham is a very prolific songwriter, and um, he always runs stuff by me. Do you, do you think this is good? What do you think of this? And I said we should, uh, you know, look at doing something a bit more uh, serious and put an album out. So we've been working uh, between shows on the road, and you know what this is like. <clears throat> you grab the time when you can to do it, but uh, we we'll, we hopefully will have a, a a complete album if that's what you still call them uh, by November. So we're talking about current air supply. Take us back to 1975 or before when the two of you first started working together. What was it that brought you two guys together and still be around all these years later? It's pretty phenomenal. We met in a production of Jesus Christ Superstar in Australia in Sydney in 1975, May the 12th. I don't know. We just kind of gravitated to each other uh, in the, in the show. This was my first experience in music being in Superstar hadn't sung professionally ever and and I was in my mid-20s and uh, my girlfriend at the time kind of nagged me into going to the auditions, met Graham and the, there were some people from the previous production in 1972 that were they were like the theatre people and they knew everything they thought and uh, had a very snooty attitude towards newcomers. Um, there were the people that were musicians that got into the show uh, and trained singers, and then there was Graham and I, among among a few other people, that had no training whatsoever. Uh, Graham had supported himself as a singer songwriter for some years, but I had no clue. So <clears throat> everything, everybody formed their little clique, no matter which one it was. And we kind of uh, started talking on the first day of rehearsals. I remember, and we found out that we had a lot in common. We were our birthdays are four days apart in the same month. Uh, we both saw the Beatles in 64 in England nice. and Australia, respectively. Okay. Um, we liked the same kind of music, melodic, harmonic uh, stuff, and, and rock and roll as well. I uh, liked the same kind of movies, same kind of food, just a lot of things that kind of, you know, meshed together that we could talk about. We were we were seated in the, the men's chorus room together, coincidentally, and we started this show uh, in the same pod they were called uh, together so we spent a lot of time chatting and, and hanging out together but it wasn't uh maybe two or three weeks after we first met that i heard graham playing an original song uh and he's he, he played i don't know if you know this he plays a left hand right-handed guitar and just flips it over he that's the way he taught himself to play and uh he didn't know he wasn't doing it the right way but it sounds different and it sounds really cool and anyway played me this song and um, we got together after that and started to work on that song together and we thought we we harmonised pretty well. And, um, you know, he said he was always determined and I'm I'm not the guy, I'm not like, he's super driven, I'm 
I like to be driven. And uh, he, uh, he said, we should do something when the show is over and not wait for the show to finish and then try and find something to do. So during the course of the show over the next 18 months, we, we practiced, practiced songs that he'd written. We did uh, club dates, just the two of us, acoustic guitar playing covers and, and a couple of original things. So by the time the show had ended in 1976, we'd uh, managed to secure a record deal in Australia. We had a song released uh, called Love and Other Bruises, which was a monster hit there. The album with that song was went crazy. Um, and the day we, we finished Superstar on a Saturday and on Monday we were on the road as Air Supply for the first time. So we, we opened we opened for one of the guys that was a, played Judas in the show who was very uh, gracious in letting us open for him. And then uh, we were asked to open for Rod Stewart in Australia in January. And this is in the space of three or four months. And uh, well, this was in 76. Well, this is, we're in 77 now when we did okay. the oh, January 77. Okay. We did, yeah, we did three shows with Rod, I think. And after the first one, he came uh, backstage and we were like, whoa, this is, this is Rod Stewart. And uh, <laughs> introduced himself. And uh, he said um, that he was touring later that year in the US and would we be interested in opening for him all over North America and Canada. So that was a no. That was a no-brainer, and uh, so in uh, went went to came to the US for the first time in July, recorded a, a compilation of our first two Australian albums, and then went on the road with him in September through December and played places that you know one dreams of: Madison Square Garden and Three River Stadium, Spectrum, Forum, uh, Candlestick Park. You know all the big joints. So it was a wonderful learning experience for us. Yeah, I would, I would reckon that's awesome. That That's really when he was not, certainly he's kind of never not been at his peak in some ways, but that was like. Oh, he, yeah, he was definitely, I mean, the biggest star in the world then it was. Yeah, I was going to say that might have been his biggest, one yeah, of his yeah, biggest period. time frames for sure. Yeah. yeah. yeah and yeah. I, I thought that I read that when, you know, despite all the success that you'd had when you went back, you didn't have any money. Like I. What did you have to scrounge for pennies in the back of couches to buy some bread? Tell us, tell us what what happened. Well, that's absolutely true. Um, we were gone for three months from Australia, and I guess during that period, uh, there was no feedback coming from the US about what we were doing and who we were doing it with. I mean, I think I got to mention in the paper before we left, and uh, we went back, and I tell this story during the show got back to Sydney and I was taking my bags through customs on a trolley and I heard all these women screaming outside these big doors that uh, you couldn't see through, they were wooden doors. And I thought, yeah, this is, man, we made it, you know, we're successful. <laughs> so, of course, I opened the door and they were all waiting for a different band. <laughs> Damn so it. I, I crawled <laughs> off into, into the sunset and we couldn't, <laughs> we couldn't get arrested. I mean, we, we were offered shows for $200 a night and there were uh, seven of us at that time in the band. Oh, um, they, people just didn't want to know. And we'd had, we were kind of, well, we, we, I hate the term soft rock, but that's what we got labelled with. Mm. And in my opinion, we were never that live and we, we, we aren't. But uh, in Melbourne at the time where we, we actually went back to, uh, all the venues were pubs, uh, very uh, hard rock, ACDC, Midnight Oil, 
um, that kind of thing. And, of course, we'd get on stage with our white suits and afros and, you know, sometimes we got stuff thrown at us and sometimes we didn't. And um, But we just stuck to our guns until uh, it got so ridiculous that Graham went to Adelaide, which is in South Australia, and uh, I went to stay with my sister in Melbourne because I couldn't afford to live anywhere. And he wrote some songs uh, included in those was uh, The Loves, Lost in Love, All Out of Love. and, and uh, what was the one that you love? So he said, why don't you come to Adelaide? I think I've got some songs that could be cool. And uh, he played Lost in Love for me, just acoustic and him singing. And I said, if we can get this out, it's going to be a monster. I mean, I just had that feeling about it. So we, we once again secured a record deal in Sydney. Uh, that song was a huge hit for us there. And it took two years to get that song to the US and the, the attention of Clive Davis at Arista Records, and he he phoned us the day he got it, and he said to both of us, you've got to get over here, we have to do a, an album. And, of course, you know, after that, uh, we had, I don't know, six or seven top five songs, and uh, it launched our career worldwide. It tied you with the Beatles, I think I read, for at least for a while there, right? Yeah, yeah at, least for, at least for a week. <laughs> well, hey, though, who hey, can man. say that? Yeah, I mean, yeah. how many people? I'll take it, yeah. So 1964, you said, is that when you saw the Beatles, you said? Yeah. So where, was been, it, where was that show at? It was at the uh, Festival Hall in Melbourne. Okay. It was around my birthday, which is the 15th. My cousin got me or got us tickets to go see it. And, uh, you know, as you can imagine, in those days, there was no PA. Uh, nothing was mic, none of the instruments. And they had two little speaker columns, maybe a foot wide with six six-inch speakers in each one on each side of the stage for the vocals. And you could hear, uh, I think they played six songs, which was what wow. they did in days, because there were like 10 or 15 acts on the bill mm. and they closed the show. And uh, you could hear like, you know, <laughs> but I was there and I saw yeah. them. Yeah. <laughs> That's all and that matters that, now, right? That was it. But the uh, they, uh, I was just speaking to someone and they, uh, people don't, these days, I don't know how old you guys are, certainly not as old as me, but um, they had a, a, a civic reception for the Beatles in Melbourne. And at the time, the population of Melbourne was about a million and a half, and uh, 300,000 people showed up outside the town hall. Wow. To, just to see them come out and wave from the balcony, you know. Wow. And uh, obviously their influence, I mean, I, once I saw them, um, I still didn't have any ambition to be in music. I don't know why. But uh, that's all I could listen to. I mean, I pasted my room with Beatles photos. I bought everything, Beatles magazine, and I bought a plastic mop-top wig and Cuban boots, Cuban heel boots, and everything I could that was Beatle-affiliated. Uh, and uh, they, they did change my life, absolutely. All of our lives. Yes. In some sure. way. Yep. Yeah, yep. no question. What do you think of Ringo as a drummer, Dane? I think he's fantastic. Love yeah. him. I mean, he swings great. His parts, he's he's a smart, the, the parts that he came up with. And I know that they took, you know, the McCartney would give him ideas. John would say, why don't you try this? And, you know, he he would do that. But the, whatever he came up with on those records are really yeah. interesting drum parts. Yeah. I was fascinated with, uh, with the snare sounds he got on, or they got on each album. I mean, some of the stuff, 
I don't know how they did it. Well, I saw it, the towel on the snare and get back. Oh yeah. The, the tea towels. Yeah. Yes. Fabulous. Yeah. And the way that the drum sounds and the sounds of the band evolved with George Martin's production and Jeff yeah, yeah. Emmerich and, Oh yeah, my yeah. God, I'm a super fan. So yeah, I mean, Me too. great. you know, it's all changed a lot with Sergeant pepper. That's when they took the head off the bass drum. Is that right? First time, I think. Yeah. And that's why you get more of a boo, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. you get more impact. And uh, I don't know when the tea towels came into play, but it might've been about that time too. But, oh man. Yeah. yeah. That was fascinating seeing that. Of course, there was, there was a lot fascinating about that documentary, but yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then here you are, but you saw those guys in 64 and here it is in 1980 or so. And you're tying them for the number of consecutive yeah. hits. but. Not bad, man. Pretty good. <laughs> Pretty good deal. Those kinds of things. Uh, and I think I have uh, a newspaper cutting with that information. It was on the bottom of, remember, USA Today. Air Supply Ties, the Beatles, and Michael Jackson with a number of songs in the top 10 or whatever. Oh, wow. Um, but, you know, those, as great as it is, and, you know, I mean, I'm very proud of that fact that we did it for like a week or so, whatever it was. Um, you know, it's like that's gone now <laughs> and uh it's part of history we're still talking about it it's part of history so a couple years after that I, i'm just going to say three words and, and and you tell me what you remember about this day minnesota state fair 1982 yeah that was a that was a good one for me uh we we were just about at the end of the show and um in those days i used to have a few glasses of red wine to steal my nerves and uh the, there was the main stage and the the sound system was on each side of the stage but there was a gap in between the uh, speaker supports and i went over in front of the one of the speaker stacks and i looked down and saw the gap there but when i came back i didn't see the gap <laughs> and i fell 15 feet onto this concrete waste raceway and broke my arm and uh, bruised a couple of ribs, and that was the end of that show. And I remember Graham, uh, which is still, it's funny now, it wasn't, and he was looking down at me, still playing guitar. Oh, he was still playing guitar. <laughs> he was trying to keep the song going, and he was going, uh-oh. <laughs> show must go on. <laughs> must go on. Anyway, so, we... Uh, what's your memory of that? Like, do you remember? Oh, absolutely. Okay. I... I, I, I I remember falling and I put my arms out to to break my fall, which, you know, was what broke my left arm. And I I rolled on my back instinctively and I couldn't feel anything. And I thought I'd, my, I'd broken my back. Sure. And that freaked me out. But, but the ambulance and uh, medical staff was there within, I don't know, 90 seconds. And, um, you know, I, I could, I got started to be able to breathe, not very well. And, um, they uh, took me to hospital, put my arm in a cast, obviously, and they they couldn't do anything for my ribs because they had to heal themselves. Um, and that was the worst pain ever because we quite foolishly did um, play a show the next night in Kansas City, the Starlight Theatre. Oh, man. You played the next you night? You played a show the next <laughs> night? <laughs> well, come Jeez. on now. You're a trooper, dude. Wow. I was naive then. And uh, I sat on a stool, and every time I took a huge breath, oh. somebody was slicing me in half with a cheese knife, oh, you know. Man. And uh, that was a painful couple of weeks till I was healed enough to um, 
move around again. But I'll never forget that. And uh, thanks for bringing it up. I appreciate that. Sorry, man. And, you know, it's, it, I guess uh, that's one of the, uh, what is it, the, the things you have to go through. You're not cool unless you fall off the stage once, you know. Man. <laughs> well, God, you know, thankfully it wasn't any worse than it was. I mean, my yeah. gosh. Yeah. Could have been In a fact, lot worse. There's a, a YouTube video of us uh, playing on the Glenn Campbell show, and he played guitar with us, and we sang Even the Nights Are Better, and I still have my cast on. Oh, really? Okay. Who were interested. Oh, that's, that's cool. I'd like to yeah. see that. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Check that out. So you made reference earlier um, about soft rock. And it's interesting when you said that. It made me think of something because during COVID, um, I worked with a, a streaming company doing marketing PR stuff. And you guys were one of the ones that we worked on because you did the um, Valentine's Day streaming. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, and I remember... Um, you know, there was, you know, just working on that or whatever. And I watched the show and I was, and I remember it really striking me watching the show because I remember thinking this band is a, a lot more badass than I kind of expected. And I, not that I expected it to be bad. I just didn't expect it to really rock and it did. <laughs> and so yeah. Yeah. it was interesting because even, and, and even the songs that it's not like they were changed so much that they didn't sound like the songs but they were just different in a really cool way. And so you, when you said that earlier, I was like, he's right. Because I, I saw that and experienced that in a good way. You know, sometimes people change up their music and it's like, just play it the way I want to hear it. But that wasn't it. Um, but not just the two of you either, but talk a little bit about the guys in your band, that, that band, I, I distinctly remember this is a really good, really good band. Well, um, the current band uh, and we've been through, I don't know how many, incarnations of, of people playing with us. Um, but just before I, I tell you about that, all the early recordings, as you know, were very orchestrated, uh, lush strings everywhere. Right. And, uh, you know, they were mixed the right way for that background, you know. Um, but we were always, uh, we, we thought we were rock and roll, you know, not Led Zeppelin, obviously, but we're the other end of the scale. But we've always uh, looked, when there was a change in the band, uh, we looked for guys that were contemporary. I mean, all the guys are younger than us. Well, because we're older than everybody else anyway. But, um, <laughs> but you we, said you know, it, we didn't. Yeah. We <laughs> found, uh, you know, our, our lead guitarist, Aaron McLean, is a monster. And uh, he basically uh, found or knew uh, our pianist and our bassist. Uh, both, you know, younger guys. Um, the drummer we just found, and he's a he's a powerhouse. Um, and they bring whatever their influences are too to the to the show, and to their to the songs. And we're we're great sticklers, Graham and I. For as you said, I don't want to go to a show and guess the song. I want to hear the song the way I remember it. But the way that these guys have added their, you know, special flavors to the songs have made elevated them i think and yeah. one of the reasons why we we continue to tour on, at such a high level and do many shows is because uh it's it's an entertaining rock and roll show i remember the first shows we did uh, i played conga drums uh strictly because i really wanted something to hide behind because i was too scared to to be out front you know and if i didn't play those i would walk out and grab the microphone stand in two places and in a death grip 
and uh, do the show because I was t terrified. Um, we've progressed leaps and bounds, I mean, you know, eons, whatever you want to call it. So the sound of the band has gotten really a lot tougher and it's hard to talk to people that haven't seen you and tell them it's a rock and roll band when they when all they're used to is the early recordings of Lost in Love and Two Less Lonely People. Are, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh, it took us a long time to get over that, but, you know, in the early parts of playing with this band, uh, we would get 10 or 15 people because we, we – our audience is now from the, uh, you know, six to 60. So we, we found that people that were older, you know, there'd be 10 of them in the audience going like this. And um, they would complain to the to me on stage. And I said, I would say, that guy up there, he's mixing. I'm not mixing. I'm just singing. You know? And uh, that's become less and less. So that, you know, we, we find now that even the, the generation, you know, that I'm a part of, they dig it because they know what to expect, the ones that have seen us before. And they've encouraged their their friends to come and see it because, you know, it's loud. It, it's in your face. You know, you want to hear the bass drum hit you in the chest. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's got to be a physical thing as well for us for the audience. You know. Yeah. No, I I was struck by that for sure. You you hit the nail on the head explaining the band. So, kudos to that because it's a it's a cool show. There's no question about it. It's it's, it's I distinctly remember watching it all and thinking this is really cool. So, congrats to you and. Thank and your band on that so we were talking to um jody stevens actually earlier today from big star and talking a little bit about songwriting partners and working together as a duo etc what what is it about the two of you guys you know working together all these years having met you know way back in in you know in the mid-70s in melbourne what what is that what's the what's the secret sauce i guess to um well the secret sauce is that there isn't one i mean we, we have both we both have very defined roles in the band. I mean, I, I couldn't write a song if you paid me. Uh, I've tried. I've tried to write lyrics and they all suck. Okay. And uh, yeah. we're kind of like not in the same vein as Elton John and Bernie Taupin. I don't. Graham writes the songs and then he sends them to me right. and says, what do you think of this? And yeah. nine times out of ten I'll go, this is great. Or I, I predicted Lost in Love and the one that you love to be hits as soon as I heard them, the instant I heard them. Um, so he does that and then uh, he'll play guitar or piano and send me the, uh, the the song and let me know what you think. He, he'll sometimes say, I think you should sing this um, or this is in your key or I'd love you to sing this. Uh, but it all happens in the studio because... Um, we, we've also we also believe it's what's best for the song and uh, there's been a couple of instances where uh, I was supposed to sing all of all out of love and um, I just couldn't I don't know for whatever reason the chorus wasn't uh, you know clicking with me and I said to Graham why don't you go and give it a shot and he said oh that's too high for me and I said just go and sing it see what happens so that's the version that you hear now mm -hmm. um, but really I mean we I think the secret to our success is, first of all, there's no secret. There's that process of, of bringing songs into into our repertoire. We're also very different people. Uh, he lives on a thousand acres in Utah outside of Park City. He's very, uh, you know, green. He's got a three, four thousand foot square foot greenhouse. He uh, he has, you know, deer in his backyard. And, um, he's he's the garden guy and, and the outdoorsman. Uh, doesn't 
doesn't hunt, however, he's vegan. And uh, I want to be close to a restaurant that's within two hours <laughs> instead of uh, driving five miles, 20 miles to uh, Salt Lake City. Um, mm. We don't see each other when we're not working together. Uh, we, we talk, you know, if we've got a long break, which is a long for us is a couple of weeks, we usually touch base once a week to see what's going on. Or if there's any business needs to be attended uh, with our manager, we do calls like this. Um, we respect each other tremendously because he's, in my opinion, he's one of the most underrated uh, writers of pop songs ever. Uh, never been nominated for Grammy. Um, he, uh, I, we neither of us had brothers either, so he's he's the brother I never had, um, and I love him as a brother. Uh, we've been through both musically, professionally, and personally uh, stuff that you know would probably uh, separate a lot of people, but we're always there for each other when the you know when the crunch comes. Um, and we're also we never we didn't start the band when we were kids. You know, we were I was in my mid twenties, uh, and he's a year younger than me. So I think we got into it pretty level headed. And uh, you know, I've never gone. Oh, I'm the lead singer and I'm the best guy. And he's well, I write the song, so I'm better than you. Um, never. We've we've uh, we've connected on every level, professionally and and personally that you could. And um, and the other thing is too, you know, they ain't broke, don't fix it. We. We don't take it for granted, but we take it for granted because we're always there and always with each other, you know. And if you can't get along with with the guy you've been working with for 50 years nearly, then uh, what's the point? And I know acts, and you probably do as well, you guys, that they can't stand each other, but they get on stage and pretend that they're best buddies, you know. And I couldn't work with Graham if I didn't like what I was doing. If I didn't like him, I wouldn't do it. You know, it's just not part of my makeup. Yeah, good for you guys, man. It's, yeah, I mean, these songs are timeless songs. There's no question. I mean, these are, you know, you guys know it. I mean, all these years later, I remember my first memory, I think, of Air Supplies. My mom, uh, she was, a, you know, a member of those, uh, the Columbia House, you know, record things, <laughs> right, yeah, which, yeah. which were awesome because you'd get, you know, you'd go out to the mail and get like, you know, 10 vinyls or whatever yeah. in the mail. And never I, pay for it. Or 10 cents or whatever it was. Yeah, exactly, yeah. 10 cents. But uh, I remember getting, uh, that was one of those, and it played a lot at our house. And those songs are timeless. They still sound as good today as they did then. I mean, that's, yeah. I guess, dialing back to those times and making those hits that were just became monsters and still live on to this day. You know, take us back to that time. Was that, a, did you know it at the time? Did you feel like, gosh, these are, these are bona fide classics? Well, I mean, as the years go by, you, you, come to realize that that's what's happening but the early days uh as soon as we had a lost in love was a hit um we were touring incessantly mostly on a bus um you know we were doing a hundred thousand miles a year and we never got we didn't get off the bus for three months at a time really and uh it it got to the point where and this is we didn't we didn't really get a chance to stop and smell the roses you know we'd be on the bus at three o'clock in the morning and sitting up listening to we used to listen to acdc all the time or well, we still do if we can and um have a beer and and somebody would say oh uh here i am it's number five we go oh, that's cool you know can you get me another beer yeah <laughs> great <laughs> and i mean you, you know you yeah. everybody goes to this and you just you don't take it for granted but it's and it's i mean i was uh when when we made our first recording in australia uh, the producer gave me a copy of Love and Other Bruises, a 
45. And for you folks that don't know, that's a plastic black thing with a hole in the middle. And um, he gave it to me and I said to Graham, this, this thing here is forever. I mean, this is people, my kids, my kids and their kids and their kids and their kids going to play this forever if they choose to. This is yeah. immortal. Um, and then I thought, well, wouldn't it be great to have a gold record, a gold album? And we got that in Australia pretty quickly. And gold in those days was uh, 20,000 copies. But that was a big deal. And I still have mine hanging on the wall downstairs. Um, and then we wanted to go to America. Our, we separated from our record company in Australia because they said, uh, we want you to stay in Australia. We can make you the biggest band in Australia. And we said, we don't want to be the biggest band in Australia. We want to be the biggest band in the world. Mm -hmm. And it was a very acrimonious uh, separation. Then we got to America and I thought, wouldn't it be great to have a platinum album? And we got that and you get that and take photos of it and then you take it home. Then, you know, and then I want a multi-platinum album. We got that. And mm -hmm. then our greatest hits album sold uh, five million in the US yeah. alone. Right. That was a great achievement. But, you know, all those things, it's, I don't know whether you experience it too. Once you get there, it's not what you thought it was going to be. And uh, you know you just got to move on because you can't live on you on your last recordings or your last performance because you've got the rest of your life to that you have to keep your nose to the grindstone and get on with it. You know, sure. So I, which you guys are still doing? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. My next question is tattoos. I mean, when did when did you start becoming a aficionado of tattoos and getting tattoos? Those are cool tattoos. Dude. They are, man. I got my first one when my daughter was born in 1988. It was, you can't even see it anymore. I was so scared to get it. I said, give me the smallest rose that you can put on there. And with every tattoo artist, they always say, go big because you regret not doing it. You know? So anyway, I didn't. Mm -hmm. And then um, I, I quite liked it and I was married at the time. And uh, I said to my wife, I think I'm going to get another tattoo. And she said, why don't you get Peter Pan? Because it's obvious you're never going to grow up. And I said, good idea. <laughs> so <we> got <laughs> oh, nice. That's awesome. Great. Yeah. And, there uh, you go. You showed then, her. Yeah. And then I started. That was the ex-wife, right? Hey, oh, yeah. Well, Bye yeah. now. Toodles. <laughs> well, yeah. And uh, then I, I didn't do any for quite a while. I got a, quite a few in the 90s, some stuff on my chest. But just recently, uh, my lovely, beautiful wife now, Carrie, is smiling at me. Uh, she has a tattoo guy and she went and got one and I thought, oh, may as well give it a shot. And I've kind of been obsessed ever, <laughs> ever since. There's not much space left, but I'm going to find a spot. I'm actually going to get air supply tattooed around here because I don't have a – if I forget, get in a car accident, people will know who I was. You know? <laughs> right. Oh, that's that guy. But like, is it Peter Pan? Is it who is this? Oh, he's the guy from Air Supply. Okay, yeah. I That's mean, great. looking at you though, I mean, I would think you'd be the you were in Motorhead and not <laughs> Air Supply or something. You know, it's, it's great, man. Well, yeah, yeah well, you know, that's great. Uh, Graham was uh, has been very in, encouraging, you know, because I I said part of the show now I'm going to wear a sleeveless shirt to freak everybody out, which it kind of does. And he said, "Yeah, go ahead, man. That's who you are now." I mean, I wear yeah. and I, I wear earrings and I wear a lot of jewelry. And um, that's that's who I am, and I'm not uh, I'm not uh, bound by other people's opinions anymore, especially people that I'm 
was involved with, you know, don't do Good that. For that's, you. that's too fairy. That's too blah, blah. But uh, Carrie's been my savior. No, I think it's awesome. Yeah, I think it's, awesome. yeah, I think it's I great. A, I have a signature on my own too. Oh yeah. Cool. Nice. Well, it's funny because, you know, I've seen the air supply logo and obviously see it there in your shirt. I'm, I never thought of it as a tattoo, but it actually would make a really great tattoo. This, you know, just the logo. The, the guy yeah, that does our tattoos, he designed this, that, my, our tattoo guy. Oh, oh cool. how cool. Yeah, That's like is. an album cover right there. That's awesome. Yep. Yeah. That's a good right. thought. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Great. Very cool. So cool. I read somewhere that you had some interesting stories about some folks in the business. Uh, Know if you want to get into that with us today, Axel Rose, Robert Plant. You got any stories about the those fellas? Uh, yeah. I hope Axel's going to see this. Um, <laughs> we played a show in in India uh, in I think 1995, and it was we, we were given an award for being you know the fabulous band in the universe or something, and uh, so we went and it was in a, a football stadium a lot of people and backstage was all just pipe and drape tent things no no specific dressing rooms just had a card with the person's name on it sure and uh, uh, brian may was there roger taylor brian adams uh yes. the the, uh, the macarena people a bunch of other things and robert plant was there he was going to perform with brian may and and roger taylor and uh, i walked where i was told you know just go down there and your name's on a, a tent there. And I walked past Robert Plant. And uh, and I'm a fan. I was a fan before I'm anything, and I'm a fan now before anything. And I saw him and I you know, went, whoa, holy crap, it's Robert Plant. And I tried to, you know, go past him because all these reporters had microphones in his face. And he actually stopped them and he said, excuse me to them. And he said, uh, hi, I'm Robert Plant. It's a pleasure to meet you. Nice. And that's that's the classiest thing that anybody with that, you know, echelon of rock oh, and yeah. roll. Yeah, man, uh, that's cool, man. Yeah. Yeah. So that was awesome. And then uh, my Axel Rose story, um, the people that work, used to work for us doing security ended up working for Guns N' Roses. And the head of our security guys was manager for them, Doug Goldstein. And I was in LA and he called me up and he said, uh, I've got some good news and bad news for you. And I said, okay, what's the good news? And he said, Axel wants to have dinner with you. And I said, okay, what's the bad news? And he said, he wants to have dinner with you tonight. And I said, <laughs> okay. So we went to the Rainbow. You've heard of that, right? You've been there? You must have. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've been there. Um, and... I was sitting on alone and they both came in and, and Axel was so effusive. Oh, you've got the best voice I've ever heard. And, you know, you're amazing and you're this and you're that. And, and I don't take flattery well anyway or compliments. And I said, thanks, you know. And he said, uh, on All Out of Love, you were supposed to have held the longest note ever on a record, recorded and recorded music. And I said, I don't know about that. but And I didn't care, you know, that's what, what kind of stat is that, you know. It's just what you and, did. Yeah, it's what I did. And anyway, he, he said, would you mind if I recorded a song and kept a note longer than that? And I went, knock yourself out, bud. I mean, yeah. that's <laughs> weird. Yeah. Was, Whatever. Wow. Yeah, so anyway, uh, a little while later, Doug called me <clears throat> and he said, 
Guns N' Roses are playing at the Freddie Mercury Memorial Concert in um, at Wembley in 1992. So I said, do you want to go? And I said, well, I'd love to, and I can't afford to. You know, I'm not in that shape right now. And he said, I'll take care of you. He said, you were the greatest guy I ever worked for, and I'd like to repay you in some small way. Wow, that's nice. And he said, don't worry about anything, airfares, first class, hotel, blah, blah, blah. And I was really overwhelmed. So I flew over there with the Slash and Duff and uh, I don't know whether Stephen was in the band. No, it was Matt Sorum. And uh, we, you know, they were great guys, had a great time as I was on the plane. Went to the, checked in the hotel and uh, there was a sing-along that night at the piano in the lobby with Axel and whoever was there. And it was, I wish I'd had a cell phone then. That would have been great to record. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, went to the show next day and, um, I walked into the to the garage to get up to where the stage was and the or the parking area, and I saw Axel uh, standing up against a pillar in, in the parking garage, and I went up and I said, "Hey, Axel!" and he just looked at me, and didn't <laughs> didn't like respond, and I said, you "Remember me?" and he said, "No, I don't think so," and I said, uh, "Yeah, Russell, I sing with Air Supply. We had dinner at the Rainbow with Doug." And he goes, "No." Nah, no. Whoa! What an asshole! You allowed to swear on this? Sure, yes, I just did. Go yeah, ahead. Mine's worse. I said, "Fuck you, Axel." Have a nice show, and mm. uh, walked away. And I thought that was really cold, to say the least. And he was the only guy of everybody: David Bowie, Annie Lennox, you name it, George Michael, that had his own dressing room uh. with two guys on each side of the door. You know, sure. and and we we were watching the show as it progressed, and they'd just come off, and there was you know I don't know who was I remember Joe Elliott was there because I was talking to him for a little bit, mm-hmm. and the the commentator came on and with the stage in the background he says well you know welcome to uh, the Freddie Mercury memorial concert, uh, and apart from a lackluster set from Guns and Roses. Uh, <laughs> Vindication. <laughs> you know, next thing, the doors burst open, and Axel's going, "Where is that? I want him. I want him fired. I'm going to do this and that." And everybody's looking at him like, "Sit yeah. down, back yeah. into your get over so, yourself, pal." Yeah, uh, really. Come on have, now. Wow. I have nothing fond or nice to say about him. Well, good that's for you. I hate hearing it, but it doesn't surprise me. Yeah. I've heard similar well, you know, things. I've had a yeah. couple of those in my career. When we were when Lost in Love was first out. And it was really successful. We played Red Rocks mm. in uh, mm-hmm. Colorado, Denver, and uh, Juice Newton opened for us. And she had Queen of Hearts, I think, at the time. Yeah. And uh, and I'm, you know, I mean, I think I'm a relatively nice guy. So in anybody that's working with us, I always go up and say, "Hi, I'm Russell. Nice to meet you. Great to be working with you." And uh, I went up to her and I put my hand out and I said, uh, I'm Russell Singh with Airsupply. It's great to meet you. And she just looked at my hand <laughs> and did nothing, you know. Uh, and she was and opening it, for you? Yeah, and it makes you, you know, it's embarrassing, you think. Well, sure. Is anybody looking at me? Am I like a piece of shit? Or and it's, <laughs> no, it's kind of like juice who now? Like, yeah. you know. So, you know, <laughs> you get those and then you get the people that are awesome and, We've done a lot of shows with America and Christopher Cross, and they're awesome people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, Starship, Mickey Thomas is a great guy. 
you know, some people you didn't think would be so nice or awesome and the people that you think are going to be shoot you down every time, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, disappointment, isn't that the common theme for all of us in some ways, right? Yeah. 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 And if you're not if you're not used to it, uh, don't be in a band. No kidding. <laughs> well, don't be in true. the music business, right? <laughs> really? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, those songs that you sing, that when you go out and play and you guys still do 100-plus shows a year, I was reading – uh, is it hard for you to sing night after night? And is it harder to do those? I mean, you know, you recorded those songs 40 years ago. So, yeah, well, we've changed the key of a few of them mm. down a step or half a step or something. But I look at uh, early videos now, live videos, and I just uh, stood there and went, you know, now it's like I'm making faces like, I'm having an appendicitis attack, you know. <laughs> so it's it's it, it's hard, but I'm lucky, you know. I'm I just for the past uh, I stopped drinking about six, seventeen months ago, and uh, that's made a big difference. And um, you know, I don't. I'm not an exercise person or any of that. I just try to eat properly now and get as much rest as I can because. And when during the day, I, I don't speak if I, unless I have to. And I was like this, and I get a lot of comments backstage. People say, uh, your voice is so low and quiet. And I said, I don't get paid to speak. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> You're saving it, man. Come yeah, on yeah. now. Yeah. 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 But people don't think about that kind of stuff at all. You know what I mean? They just don't. Yeah. Yeah. No. Mm. Mm. There's, a, there's a guy in Australia that you've never heard of called John Farnham. And, uh, people say who's got the best voice you ever heard and he has it and sadly about a year ago he he got uh, cancer in his mouth and they had to remove part of his jaw so mm. he's you know recuperating hasn't been seen in public which is obviously a good thing but if you ever well you should write his name down and listen to him sing live a song called when the war is over and uh it's Farnham, F-A-R-H-N-A-M. Farnham. Yeah, F-A-R-H-A-M, sorry. And uh, and that guy does it, used to do it day after, night after night too, and I couldn't figure out how he did it because he's uh, phenomenal. But, you know, we're lucky, I'm lucky, and uh, we're, we've been blessed too. We haven't, we haven't really been sick over the years, you know. I mean, I've had uh, surgery... A couple of times and fortunately the time period was was good for that you know in fact a couple of years ago i broke my ribs and uh fell out of a car <laughs> broke six ribs and uh we had six weeks off then so i was it was okay then but uh, we've been lucky you know touch wood or something whatever you do is there any other current uh, current things you want us to hit on uh in your world that we should uh, not really. I mean, we're we're excited about finishing this uh, these recordings. Uh, we're doing some work in Vancouver next week on vocals, and we hope to have that finished. Excuse me, by November. Um, but you know, we just uh, we're getting involved in writing a, a biography, autobiography. Oh, nice. Very with, nice. With a guy, Graham and I, is we're both writing separately and going to put them all together. Um, which you know, it's funny when you. When you start to do something like that, you think of something and you think of 20 other things that happened and 
Um, yeah. You know, it, hopefully people will find it interesting. And I was saying, I spoke to the guy that's going to write it with us today, and I said how much of the, you know, the the underbelly kind of thing do you want from us, you know, because we're all always being perceived as clean, squeaky, and, you know, wouldn't say shit if you had a mouthful of it. And, uh, and he said, say whatever you want. And uh, it, it, whatever you want to address. And it, he said something interesting at the end of our conversation. He said, what do you, what do you want to do with, with the book? You know, what, what's your goal? And, uh, and he said, to set the record straight. And I said, that's pretty much what it is. You know, just to show that we're, we are, as we all are, regular people and we got, we have talent, but we got lucky and, and uh, you know, we'll see what happens. May I also say that uh, I watched, uh, my wife and I watched American Idol last night and we were in Superstar for nearly two years with some amazing voices, I mean, amazing voices. And Graham and I often say, you know, I wonder what happened to so-and-so, he had a great voice. And there are so many people that we all know that had amazing talent at you know musically, and they never got a shot for some reason, reason or another. And we are we are luckier than lucky, Graham and I, to be able to have been in the right place at the right time, and and also take advantage of those opportunities and not let them go by us. You know, I'm yep. glad you did. Absolutely. Yep. 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 Well, thank you so much for joining us, Russell, and uh, continued success and luck to you and. You know, just keep on keeping on. So a lot of respect for what you guys do. I must thank you for a wonderful interview. You guys are great. Thank you. Thanks, Russell. Appreciate it, man. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.